Welcome back to another episode of the Gig Harbor Flycast. And we're, we're with Brian Bennett from Moldy Chum. And uh, we're going to talk about some fish stories and some other fun stuff. So we took a break. You had a week break. We had a quick sandwich uh, That's break. Right. Mm. It, was a, it was great. No beers were involved. No beers Not involved yet. at all. So yeah, this COVID thing keeps going on. I'm not going to be able to fit my liver in the casket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about like making <laughs> making pickles and making pickled red onions. And, exactly. Yeah, we, like, we didn't even I talk got, about pickling our. Livers. I have a Zoom happy hour like every night, you know. And it's like on the wet on the you got East Coast friends, and so you're doing the East Coast West Coast thing, and it's like start drinking at two o'clock in the afternoon because you know, it's five o'clock happy hour at the East Coast. It's like should I? Yeah, why not, bird? Like, yeah, crazy. <laughs> so I, I was on the water with a client recently, and he's in he's in medical stuff. And uh, we, mm. we were just, we were talking about how um, during during this whole time that um, you know I mean a lot of people's consumption has gone up, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of issues like real issues with with yeah. um, you know uh, like abuse issues of of substances of of whether it's yeah. drugs or alcohol and like I mean because there's food. people are <laughs> yeah right food right I mean yeah. people are um, their anxiety is high and um, you right. know so mm-hmm. so remember to have healthy habits but one of the things he Correct. said that was very encouraging he's like he said well mortality doesn't start to drop until you have more than two drinks a day oh shoot i'm, I'm, a, I'm good you're good you're good right so okay i'm good yeah so i got i take like the i do dry january and sober october like i take two two full months off right, right i think those are horrible ideas and then i lose like 10 pounds each one of those months and at the end I'm like oh god I feel so good and then I as soon as that month's over I'm like woohoo and I'm like wait <laughs> like what what didn't I I didn't learn my lesson apparently yeah one time for <laughs> Lent I uh, I gave up alcohol so for six weeks no no alcohol wow. and so the following year I gave up Lent <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm, done, I'm done with that that was That's pretty that was a horrible idea yeah right so, exactly um, really I'm yeah. so much more charming when I'm drinking. But I do love that. Like, I, when I first started doing Dry January, which became popular, you know, it got even bigger, I, I'd go to the outdoor retailer show. And it was really tough. Like, right. like you're not drinking at a trade show. Right. Like, they're, they're handing you free beers everywhere. Like, it's crazy. I know. And I remember going out with, like, Patagonia Brethren, you know, and being around a table at the steakhouse. And it's, like, drinking before and then going after. And looking and, like, looking across the table. And... I haven't had a drink all night. And so I'm the charming, witty one because everybody else is like slurring their words. And it's like, and I'm looking at people and I remember looking across at a good friend of mine and like, and like he like looks at me like out of half an eye, you know, and he's got like four fingers of whiskey in a glass. And he looks at me and he goes, you're going to feel way better than I'm going to feel in the morning. I was like, that is correct. That is I was correct. like Frank Sinatra used to say, I feel sorry for people that don't drink because when they wake up in the morning, that's the best they're gonna feel all day. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Well, um, that's good chum fodder, right? There. That is good chum fodder. Yeah. You, you even have a you have another uh, I do. Instagram account. I mean, I don't know if that's a like a if you yeah. if you share that or not, but because I, I follow it and I love like the photos and like all the yeah, stuff. Yeah, I do. I, I have an alter ego. I call him, and it's well, it's, it's Hale Orveston is his name. And those of you that have read The River Wide by David James Duncan, Hill Orveston is the, the father of, uh, I can't remember the character's name all of a sudden, but um, so that's where the name came from. Yeah. He's kind of a tweed bag. 
And so, have you read? You've read the River Wide. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I started it and I got like forty pages in, and I'm like, ah, stay with, is, stick with it's it. It's not for me, so maybe yeah. I should pick it up again. Yeah, it's a great yeah. book. I mean, yeah. it's, for me, it was like I remember reading on an airplane and just laughing out loud. Like, the oh really? Yeah, it's super funny. Oh. And I, I've met, I've had the opportunity to meet Duncan a couple times yeah. through friends, and I'm not certainly not a friend of his, but um, I've had I've had dinners with him, you know, with other people. Oh, yeah. He's he's amazing, amazing writer. I mean, huh. and if, and if River Wise not your style, he's written a couple of books that are collections of short stories. So there's my my story is told by water, and then there's another one called River Teeth, which I particularly like. Um, and the, the idea behind River Teeth is, and if you've seen in a river, when a tree falls in a river and it, it erodes away, the water erodes it away. The pieces of it, the last pieces that remain, are were once the knots, really. Right. And they form, and they look like teeth. Yeah, yeah. No, I got pictures on the Olympic Peninsula of me looking like a unicorn, and look at you know, I, brought, I bring them home to my kids because exactly. they think they're cool. I, I have a whole collection. Yeah. But River Teeth. So his Duncan's thing about that. It's funny that boat's going back by again. They went the wrong way. They went the wrong way. We, so, we've had some comedy here down at the yeah. shop. We've, uh, <laughs> yeah. They, they, I mean, we're in a little downtown harbor uh, front area, and and like this big, huge boat from Mega Ar Arizona. Mega and yacht. Getting. I mean, the, the trailer is is scraping the uh, the, the, the surface of the road as it's going by. It's, it's this thing's ridiculous. Yeah. But of course, you can't get it from Arizona by water. You have to drag it on a. That's true. Uh, oversized. I, mean, I don't even know what the shipping cost would be on that thing. Doesn't matter. Guy that can afford that boat. Right. Yeah, that's just that's that's funny money. Right. I can pull that out of a sock drawer. Right. But sweep it out of his couch. Uh, <laughs> cover the shipment. So no, he would pay someone to sweep it out of his couch. <laughs> he would exactly. Um, but River Teeth. Back to the yes. River Teeth thing. Like Duncan's piece in the beginning, something to the effect like that. That's like the memories. That's like everything in that tree hmm. is that's what's left of yeah, it. Yeah, it's history. And so, and so the, the, that collection of stories are his river teeth. So the stories of him as an angler and as a boy growing up in Portland. And interesting enough, in the first episode, I mentioned my friend Casey. Um, Casey and Duncan, Casey's in one of those short stories. And they went and fished a, a, a secret spot in Yellowstone that I won't mention. Um, but Duncan caught like one of the biggest wild trout that he's ever hooked in his entire life on this trip, and hmm. it's a great it's a great story. And the the river he does. He, we'll put a Google Map link in yeah. the uh, show notes. It's funny the, the, he calls the river because he doesn't name the river, but he calls it the Beavis and the Butthead, <laughs> <laughs> or the Beavis and Butthead is the name of the river. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, talking about fishing stories. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah. I have I, I've had I have a couple few stories of uh, out on the water with Brian. Oh my God. Um, or just even- Are we um, gonna go down that big giant steelhead on the host story? <laughs> oh, oh, I wasn't going to, but I should. Yeah. Ooh. Oh my gosh, okay. So <clears throat> we were we're floating the hoe and um, you know, th this was, do you still fish with bobbers? I don't. Yeah, I don't either. So- yeah, I was this, at the time. Yeah, so this is this was many moons ago in our unrepentant stage where True. we would uh, we would fish, uh, we th where we thought it was, you know, fly fishing to fish a, a bobber and a, and a bead. And, yeah, you know. and a bead. Yeah. You know, but you're, it's on fly tackle, so it's fun. Yeah, but, match you know, the there's not much, you know, the cast is more of a windshield wiper than anything. But yeah. it's not yeah. like nymphing for trout, you know. I mean, so anyways. Yeah. I'm in the back of the boat. Brian's in the front of the boat. Right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And Chris is rowing. And um, it's, it's a long time ago, so I'm like trying to remember. But I do remember. Brian throws the indicator next to this giant uh, down tree. Like this thing is like a, just a Goliath tree that's down. And he hooks this fish and, and it's a monster. I mean, it, it is 
We were with Frank Smethurst. Not in the boat though, but it was on that trip. Well, yeah. So what? Yeah, and and the interesting thing, like Blake says on the like, what I learned after that is I realized that if I wasn't using that style of fishing, I would have never been able to hook that fish. Clearly, like he was in a spot, he was in a spot that was unaccessible, and that taught me about holding water for fish and why they theoretically you don't want to fish from a boat in rivers that are have limited runs of fish because you'd be able to target fish in places where they're resting and they need that spot. But yes. But we we hooked that fish and it tore off to the ocean and we went and then it Ringley was hot. And Ringley rode us over to the bank and, and then we had to get back in the boat. And we but Frank tried to net it with the big salmon net that he had. Yeah, yeah. And he was like it was like when I say net, like he was he was way down that bar and tried it. And I remember Frank dropping the net and turning to me and going, like putting his arms out like this, like, what? And uh, yeah, it was, was, uh, and Ringley's yelling at me, keep him in the hole, keep him in the run. And I'm like, dude, I can't. And you were on a seven weight, I remember that. Eight weight Winston. Was it eight? Eight weight weight Winston, but John Kovic. Sure didn't look like an eight weight, it looked like a four weight, the way this fish, I mean, it was, this fish was in, I mean, it was, well over 20 pounds. Oh yeah, it was I mean, a it 40, was, 40 inch fish. It was sure. just massive. Sure, and, sure. Uh, but so the, the real, you could smell, yeah. you could smell the, the, the drag <laughs> disintegrating in this reel. And yeah. it, it smelled like, oil, it smelled like hot oil and it smelled like hot metal. You could smell yeah. hot metal. Totally. And, um, yeah. and I mean, I sell these reels. So as a good we, reel. We, it, I'm not gonna mention the name no. of the reel. We, yeah. Yeah. it's a it's uh, i still have the real yeah it's they're great yeah I mean, it, it but this fish just was smoked it it was amazing so the the reel ends up giving out and uh and it essentially goes from tight drag to just to just no no drag and it just it spun it, out it, it, it spins out and it spins out and explodes into a bird's nest of backing because we were way into the backing at this point and the, it's all tangled up and like I mean, emotions are running high, and, and, I, and Brian's on the bank. He's tr- he's like, I can't get the reel off. I the tried to pull. He's I trying to pull it off, and I I run down the bank, and I'm holding the fly line yep. in one hand and the 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 yep. knot uh, and the backing in the other hand, and I'm trying to give him a little bit of slack so he can he can try to get some of the line because if the line's taut, you it's not going anywhere. So I give him a little bit of slack, and I'm holding the fish, and then this fish is so large, I can feel the fish turn. To go downstream, yep. like I can physically feel him turn a yep. hundred feet away, and and then that's Blink. when it was Gone. it was all over, and then that's when the rod and the reel <laughs> went flying across the gravel bar. I don't remember that part. Oh, Brian! <laughs> I, oh, Brian. I remember drinking the flask. I <laughs> yeah, I remember Chris and I just like. We were, we were looking at each other and we were like, this is going to be a quiet boat ride for a while. Well, then you hooked, we, you hooked a fish like in the next run. Probably. Yeah. I think I'm my, just kidding. <laughs> I don't remember did. that at all. Did I really? I have a picture of it. It wasn't, yeah, it was a nice fish. I, got I don't a remember that. But I remember, yeah, my adrenaline was oh beyond belief at that point. Oh, like, it was I, pretty crushing. And we didn't know what to say because it's like, you know, it's like, what do you do when your fishing buddy loses the fish, fish of, a of a lifetime? Fish of a lifetime. And and now you're in a 13 foot raft, all three of you. <laughs> Lesson learned. It's, you're like, yeah. Hmm. What's like, amazing? Do I say, was, say a joke or do I just say sorry or what? what, what I do have I do? one picture from that whole session. <laughs> actually, two pictures. And there's one picture, and it's me running. It's Down a blurry picture, and it's me running in the water. Yeah. And I've got one of uh, I've got a. Uh, I remember that. I think I remember that. Photo. And I have it, and like it must have been raining because I have the hood on. And, yeah. 
and I have a recycled waiter's little pouch bag on yeah. my shoulder, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, like I'm a blur. <laughs> just like, <laughs> yeah. But that was, was that was epic. That what's funny about that too, though. What I I love about it is like, and I've learned is sometimes like. Of course, I would have loved to have landed that fish, and of course, I would have loved to have a picture of me holding that fish. Oh yeah, all of the above. But you sometimes remember those fish better than you remember the even because uh, yeah, I've caught a lot of big steelhead. You can, you can tell yourself that, but this would. <laughs> <laughs> all I know uh, don't, is that don't go there. Don't burst my bubble, man. Uh, all I know is like, I wish I had the swear bucket in the boat that day because I'd be rich. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was a good one. That was a steelhead camp that we were doing with. Frank Smethurst. Frank was up shooting trout. Yeah. That TV show that he did. And Frank had some great stories from that. And those of you who know Frank Smethurst, running down the man and a bunch of he was in a bunch of Eastern Rises. Eastern Rises. That's a great one. Great guy. Uh-huh. We worked together on Patagonia. Um, he was actually one of my sales reps. And but he had, he had a, he had some great stories from that trip. Like his, he was fishing. Oh, I have a great story of him from that trip. Where, like, the fish came up and ate the indicator, and he, like, had the fish on the indicator. <laughs> I, I have a story from the end of the trip. So, so Brian, so we're out in Forks, and I I got I, I got a ride out there, and I'm out there, and I need a ride back. And Bennett oh, had to leave. Right. You had to leave to go get some guys from, like, Colorado and stuff like yep. that. Um, Tucker Ladd from yeah. Trouts and Will Sands from Taylor had to, Creek. Had to take yep. them to the airport. Yep. And so, so, so and, and Smethurst has been out here for, like, weeks and just living in this ho- hotel room. And, and you're like, I'm going to leave you with Frank, and he's going to drop you off. And so, so you drop me off at the hotel, and um, we're at the Forks Motel. And I, I walk into Frank's place, and it, it looked like – it looked like a, a bomb exploded. Like he had, he had clothes and stuff just covering. I mean, it was it was like walking into a teenager's bedroom. It was ridiculous. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's been like homeless people living in here. <laughs> like it was, it was so bad. And Frank's like, I'm, I'm packing up. We'll get going in a little bit. Uh, this will only take me about an hour, and then we got to go down to the hoe. Because uh, I, I lost my phone. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're three hours from, from Gig Harbor. It's going to take you an hour to clean up, and we got to go to the hoe, which is 20 to 30 minutes down, you know, away right. yeah. to go find your phone. And it had rained over an inch that night. Like, it had poured and poured that night, all That's night right. long. That's right. So I, I try to help Frank pack all of his stuff up. I, I mean, it, it's it was just, I mean, I'm like, should we pack this in black garbage bags? I've been to make in his it van easy? before. His van was kind of like that too. I, yeah, he probably his van probably just puked all of it into the hotel room. So <laughs> we, we go down to the hoe. Well, he had his van there, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The van was there. I know. I rode in the van. Yeah. We rode down to the hoe. Yeah. We went. Uh, he's like, I remember exactly where I set my phone down, and it's on the it's on the south fork of the hoe. I'm like, oh great! So now we're gonna go on a hiking trip yeah, as well. So we yeah. drive this van all the way back up to the South Fork. There's a bridge that uh, that uh, that goes over the river, and we hop out, and the river is now six or seven feet higher than it was the day before because of the amount of rain. That's right. And yeah. so we get our waders on and we start hiking our way down uh, down to the river. And I'm like, dude, this is ridiculous. I need to get back to Gig Harbor. There's no way we're gonna find the dude's cell phone, and if we do, it's gonna it's gonna be ruined. So we're walking. We walk all hike about 20 minutes down, and we get down close to the confluence where the North Fork and the yeah. South Fork come together. 
And he's like, oh, I, uh, right here I called my wife and I put it on this log. Uh, you know, I was taking a leak and I put it down. And it's this giant, giant tree. Somehow it wasn't completely submerged in the water, but it was in the water and it hadn't been the day before. And it wasn't there. So I'm like, okay, we gotta your go. phone's gone. We, it's time yeah. for us to go. So he's like, no, no, we're going to find my phone. I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is a fool's errand. So we start walking through these these little braids of, of where the so, river uh, yeah. channeled out that had not been there the day before. And all of a sudden he starts yelling, no way, no way. And he like starts running through the water and plunges his hand down into the icy water and pulls out this bright orange flip was, phone. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you just found your phone. And he's like, he just like lifts it up to me, flips it open, calls his wife and and I'm like, his wait, how is his phone working? I mean, this is this is wasn't before. it in a case? No, no, this was the first ever waterproof flip, flip phone. phone. And he flips this thing over, and I didn't even know they existed. You know, I, I had like I think I ha maybe had an Apple uh, iPhone like 3G or something yeah, like right, that. Exactly. Like I think it was like yeah. you know right when that first came yeah. out. So he he like calls her all excited about like you know I just found my phone. You won't believe this. And then like you know. You can tell what's going on on the internet, like, like, and then immediately, no, no, I'm leaving today. I'll, no, I'll be home. I'll be, okay, bye. <laughs> Threw his phone back in the water. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so I, oh man, so we, we, I didn't get back until like the evening that night, but um, I still remember that. I can't I mean, and then his phone, like, you would open it, and the water would. And there, there's like this this creek from the glacial oh. the gra glacial silt in the hinge of the phone that was it was. I remember that, I, I think I remember oh. that phone even like after that. But. I hope he still has it. That's so funny. I don't know what Frank's doing these days. I yeah. still see him on Instagram and that stuff, but he's kind of, he's definitely got a much lower profile than he used to have. Yeah, family know. life. Well, that too, and also you know, it's changing times, right? Sure. It's like you're you're kind of the big thing in the, an area, and then yeah, a younger kind of group comes in behind, and things yeah. kind of change. Yeah, so, things do change. But he definitely made a career out of it, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, so speaking of careers and fly fishing, like we, we kind of talked about this a little bit in the last episode, but um, I mean, I feel like you have a, a pretty good pulse on on what happens in the industry just because of the way you're connected and just you and you also have, I mean, you spend a lot of time reading about culture and like really have a really good pulse on on like just what's happening in broader culture and specifically mm -hmm. in our genre. And yep. I mean, you know, with everything that's changed here over the last couple of months because of COVID, like. I mean, what, what are some of the trends that you've seen in fly fishing, um, you know, during this period, or, as well as things that you saw, like kind of coming up to that? And then what, I mean, what's your, what's your magic ball uh, predict for the foreseeable three, six, 12 months? Good question. So a couple things. One is I came out of a specialty retail background. When I started in outdoor working for REI on the retail floor, I was like literally in the bike shop. <clears throat> and worked with, I mean, when I was a bike rep, I mean, I worked with all specialty, you know, bicycle retailers. There's a lot of similarities there. Fly fishing, I, I, people have heard me say this before, it's the petri dish of specialty retail. You know, so it's, it's very much an indicator of kind of market trends that happen in other places because it's very singularly focused. You know, in the outdoor space, you know, if you have an outdoor shop, you know, if you've, got, you've got boats, which you actually have, right? But you have boats, you have footwear, you have all these different categories. So when a category is up, maybe another one's down, you pick it up somewhere else, right? So there's a different balance. When you're singularly focused on fly fishing and something comes along like COVID, it puts a dent in the business at large, right? So 
it, it's, it's challenging in that respect. I will say this, and I've said this a long time, like if you look at the level of kind of engagement and sophistication in fly fishing, especially when it comes to like social media, you look at the advent of, you know, the fly fishing film tour and those things early on that really began to kind of speak to that, you know, it's like, oh, we're, you know, it's not a stodgy old sport. Like that, that trajectory has been really, really dramatic. And as I did the piton and outdoor and then it kind of migrated into the fly fishing space, I always made the argument that the, the social media, the quality of it, the, the breadth of it, some of it not the great quality, but just the breadth of it is as robust as any other kind of sport category out there, hmm. like literally. I mean, there's great climbing stuff, great mountain biking stuff, and I would it be small. Is it a smaller genre though, in in comparison? Well, I think as a business, it's on paper, it's a smaller business. Yeah. But its footprint, as far as a lifestyle goes, is bigger than its business footprint. Interesting. So sure. it's, it's big, and so and I think that's becoming, it's beginning to reflect in. The growth of the sport, yeah. it's beginning to reflect in, I mean, there was a piece in the New York Times, is fly fishing the new bird watching, right? Yeah. Which is another, cl- like, really, you're going to go, like, down that road? But, you know, and it's all about fly fishing and, you know. <laughs> Sometimes it is bird watching. <laughs> well, it's true. Um, but I think that, you know, it's it's become, and it's been kind of this throwback, you know, you look at, the like, some of the old school brands like Filson and those people that, you know, have become relevant again in this new era. Sure. I think fly fishing has been able to take advantage of that because it is a heritage sport that has this great history. I mean, you know, I've got all these old fly fisherman magazines. I scan them and use them for posting and you go through some of the right. stuff. Like you look at like the quality of what was in those old magazines, the art, the people that were writing like Ernest Schreiber I mean, Lee Wolf. It's like, holy crap, you know? Right. Um, there is that really wonderful heritage. I mean, it goes back to, so I think the, the, the industry's in a better place and in a good place moving forward. Unfortunately, any specialty retailer right now, I mean, some people are doing okay mm-hmm. because they were positioned well to take advantage of the opportunities that present themselves when this kind of stuff happens and ultimately will be better set up later on. But it's, it's, I think short term, there's going to be some pain. I think long term, the sport will grow and will, will be in a better place ultimately as a result of this because people are going to be looking for ways to escape from the issues that we have, whether it's COVID or the political climate. I mean, in the outdoor space, and if you look at back, like, when did people kind of move into the outdoors? Like, I want to get away from it all. You know, that was the whole thing. You know, uh, you know, back in the you know, post-World War II, it was, you know, Jack Kerouac and the, the Dharma bums. It was like they had liberated Paris, right? Well, what do we do now? <laughs> I'm, tw- I'm, I'm 19 years old and I've peaked. So what did they do? They went into fire towers and they wrote the beatnik stuff and it was all... And the 60s was the same way. Like you went, yeah, you put your backpack on because you wanted to get away from all, the, all of that. So I think fly fishing provides that. I think the conundrum is, you know, we're still, we're tied to these things still no matter what. Yeah, our phones. But I still think, but I think that people are like fly fishing, I think camping, I think all this backpacking, all of those kind of things, I think there's going to be a real trend back to that because people want to escape from the 
the, the environment that we're living in right now. Yeah, the craziness. And, and once you have the opportunity to be able to do that, what better way to heal yourself than to, you know, get off the grid for a few days, you know, even yeah. if it means having to turn your phone off. You know? <laughs> right. Right. I love going places where my phone actually doesn't work. Yeah. It's glorious. Like totally. <laughs> it's like oh my gosh. You know, but I think you know the other thing is thing. like we all want the industry. Like you know, as a tr- you know, I work with Ben at the trade association. I mean, yeah, we want the industry to grow. We want, yeah. but at the same time, it's like yeah, but we kind of don't want. We don't want more people on the water, right? Right. Like there's, it's a double-edged sword. Totally. And you look at yeah, like there's can't go to work and fishing opens and you go to the boat ramp and there's it's packed busier than it's ever been. Sure. So, you know, you got to somewhat be careful what you wish for. But. Well, but, I mean, uh, I guess the counterpoint is, on, uh, you know, to speak back to our, our previous podcast episode from last week, more anglers means, you more know, conservation. more conservationists totally. that, um, yep. Yep. you know. So. Yeah, for sure. And, there's, and, you know, there, and there, ultimately there is room. And if they get involved, I mean, that's one, of the, one way to create more opportunities to create healthier rivers. So the, the industry needs to come up with a key. Industry needs to come up with a key to, uh, to, to, to grow new anglers, but just keep them on YouTube. Yeah, well, no, I'm just kidding. No, no doubt. Well, and I think I'd be remiss in saying this. And, you know, I've been working with AFTA on the conservation from the couch thing. It's been a really good thing. And, you know, I, I, when I was doing the Piton in the outdoor industry, we were very critical of the outdoor industry association like my, my really good friend Frank, who used to run it, who I'm still good friends with at this point. Um, he actually runs the Mar- he's actually executive director at the Marine Manufacturers Association right now. He was running the RV Association for a while, the Trade Association for the RV industry. Frank's a really really good guy, very well connected. I, I the the Fly Fishing Trade Association. If you look at where they're at, and I think I would put this right on, and you know I would credit Ben for this, as since he's come on and where the where the trade is now from a business standpoint the resources they provide all that is is light years ahead of where it was back when i first started playing in this space you know back in 2005 i've seen that so no doubt so and i think it's you know there's that that's a that's a really really good thing yeah so i'm proud to be a part of that yeah for sure that's cool yeah Yeah. so uh chum nation uh you have a you 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 know, so Moldy Chum is, has been like the thing, um, but me. you're super active on Instagram. We're actually going to have you do a, an Instagram takeover, takeover of the Gig Harbor Fly Shop Instagram yeah. account for yeah. for a bit. Um, but you have like, you know, so you're growing other channels as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I will say one thing about my Instagram page. It's, it is really my personal page, though. Okay. I mean, when I started in Instagram and Twitter back in the day, you know, I, I mean, there was some other early adopters, you know. Cam Mortensen at the Fiberglass Manifesto. I mean, we were on this, we were on Instagram early. Yeah. When Instagram was really a vehicle for creatives, like it was about putting nice pictures up. Now it's become more of a social media. Like for some people, sure, you know, it's three hundred word posts about you know this, that, and the other thing. That's not what Instagram is for me. I don't run Instagram like a business. I don't run moldy. Ch- I do run moldy chum kind of like a business, but I don't harvest emails from people. I don't do email campaigns. I don't have newsletters. We, we still kind of run it like it's still kind of the Stone Age in that yeah. respect. And so I that, do. And you should subscribe <laughs> to our email. <laughs> exactly. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> but I think that, that 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 piece of it, you know, from like those other channels. Yeah. Like we did start a podcast. I uh, love, I mean, the first episode was incredible. So 
uh, check out their podcast called Real Pure Radio. Correct. And one um, episode, it's, <laughs> but it's worth listening to. It's a it's a really creative and it's, uh, it, entertaining. Story. Yeah, and my partner Paul, like literally, in the first time I met Paul, we talked about this kind of fly fishing meets this American life thing. It was like six years ago. And I, I never want to be that guy who was like, I was doing it before anybody kind of thought. Like, I did have a podcast called The Fish Stick that with Teach Stufer and Michael Morrow. We did 99 episodes. And it was this kind of format. And um, we quit after 99. And we just, like, we didn't want to do 100 for some reason. Right. And we had crazy guests. Like, it didn't, like, it was very... Uh, we we had the guy that caught a world record, you know, bluegill on. We had <laughs> Shaw Grisby, the bass fisherman. And then we had April on. And we had, I mean, it was like we had the full gamut. That's funny. So, but we've been, we've been wanting to do this thing. But it's a hard thing to do to produce, um, you know, really good theater of the mind. It's got to be written. And like with this first episode that we did, which is called Chasing Shadows, uh, it was recorded in Baja. <laughs> So yeah, you had him mic'd up while he was fishing. Yeah, when the, the, the cool thing about Real Pure Radio is when you hear the first five seconds of it, you go, "This is not like any other podcast I've heard." Although there's a couple out there that are doing a real good job of that. Yeah, you know, Drake Cast and you know, like my favorite podcast right now is Andy Mills' podcast it's called Millhouse. Yeah, and it's really good. It's about kind of the the, the historic kind of tarpon. The fishery in the keys. Sure. It's like old school, new school. It's really good and it's it's well it's really well done, man. Nice. Because I mean he's Andy Mill, right? He used to be a broadcaster and yeah. Married to Chris Everett. Yeah. Was. Man. Have you ever fished the keys? You know, I have fished the keys. I've never fished the keys. Yeah. I fished the I used to be on the board of a group called Big City Mountaineers and so we used to have our board meetings in Florida, so I used to go fish the keys all the time. But never really, not super serious. I get invited, you know, my buddy Captain Keith invites me down all the time. Uh-huh. Keith Robbins, he's down there right now. Like the fishing down there right now is like crazy good because it's been closed. <laughs> yeah, there's no one there. There's no one there. I've got another friend that got stuck down there for five weeks. <laughs> and like hooked up with a guy like, who's fishing the beach on the, on the Boca side, the Cativa yeah. side. And met a guy in a skiff. Like the guy was fishing in a skiff so close, they could kind of talk to each other. And then one day, the guy just pulled up on the beach. He goes, "Dude, you want to jump in?" He goes, "Yeah." So he jumps in, and he's featured on the cover of the next Tail magazine. This guy, I call him the Anchor Man. So apparently, <laughs> he likes to anchor up. And I think the first day, I said they jumped 13 fish. Jeez. Yeah, it's been good. Yeah. Really good. So yeah, I have fished the Keys. Um, you know, my buddy Andy does a lot of tagging. Down there, Andy Daniel Chuck. He was supposed to come up here this summer. Yeah, we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Because we were going to have him on the podcast. Yeah, they were going to do a whole tour. We didn't stay with us. We usually see him every summer. They come and yeah. hang out with us on the Cape. We did some GT work with him on Christmas Island. Um, but he's been he's been on a tarpon tagging project down there for, I don't know, maybe entering their fourth year now. Oh, wow. And so they've got some really good. I mean, we did our BTT conservation from the couch session. Andy talked a lot about the tarpon tracking stuff that they have. It's like it's crazy, like where they're finding those fish. Yeah, yeah. Can you can you share anything about that? Yeah, I mean a lot of stuff off in North Carolina. In the pre-call, I heard something about a tarpon being caught off of Cape Cod. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So just yeah, it, it, it was a good one. Um, but yeah, the keys always on my bucket list but here's the thing about the keys it's like about as far as you can go in the united states from here 
Like I know. It's, it's easier to get to Christmas Island other than the overnight in Hawaii. Right. It's easier to get to Christmas Island. It is about the same, theoretically. It's it's quicker to go to Cuba. Yeah, exactly. Really? So that's yeah. always been one of kind of the limiting factors. Sure. But I've had some fun times there when I have gone. I've done some little bit of tarpon fishing, but not not super seriously. Like I really want to. Yeah. Like that's kind of my next frontier. But my latest thing is Mexico. Um, I've been going down to ESB Lodge. I've been the last two years. Um, You're letting out the secret now, huh? Well, that's no secret. It's a way to, it's to try to get on. It's 200 people waiting list. To get on. <laughs> um, it's an amazing place, and to me, what you know, and you can relate to this. I think anybody who travel when you go somewhere. It's not only just the destination, the fishery, but it's the people that you meet there. Sure. And the people that you work with. And Dane and Kiara, who who own that lodge, are just really, really great people. So what's cool about ESB is, like, I never really, you know, as a fly angler, the permit, right, pursuit of permit, you know. It's kind of that, it's one of those things where you've got to check it off the list. And never really had the opportunity. Again op- and again. And yeah, again. well, it's, yeah, it was amazing. And, like, people talk about, you know, permit psychosis right and I, I kind of got it but I didn't and when I went down there I did the classic like I don't really care if I catch one you know like oh yeah all right yeah, I, I really wanted to catch one but I was, like, <laughs> I was trying to minimize my expectations oh, sure didn't want to be disappointed yeah. and that fishery down there provided like literally the opportunity to kind of really experience that in a way that's and yeah it's like I, I could chase them all the time if I if I could it's truly amazing. I mean, my yeah. first permit, um, my first shot at a permit was literally like my first time on the front of the boat. Like, okay, go ahead. You know, and there's fish and cast. Yeah. And it was the like strip and it's a big fish and it followed all the way, like fairly close, close enough to the boat that the beam of light from the sun hit it and it turned on its side and I could see the lips and, oh my gosh. and it was just like, and then it just, yep. like yeah, it took off. and it was like, yeah, that was, I like, okay. That's so people that haven't fished permit, they, they, a lot of times they don't understand what it's like when they're like, what do you mean you fish all week long to, to try to hook one? And like you, you count when they follow, that that counts as something like absolutely oh, oh yeah it, oh yeah it totally counts as something yeah and then and then you know we I mean it was funny you know the it was at the end of the week and I had a good week I might hook six fish and yeah but it, if I That's had known insane. at the end of the week what I knew knew at the beginning of the week I probably would have landed all six hmm. I only landed two of them only two of them yeah but like the other ones there is like because I didn't know. Yeah. And I had somebody with me that really kind of knew what they were doing, but it was, yeah. My, in January, my last day fishing, um, was it my last day? I well, there was not one quick day. thing, yeah. but I went back the following, I went back the following year. Yeah. And when I was there the first time, it was in August, I went back in November, the second year, I didn't see a permit. Yeah. So. Well, so, so this last, last uh, uh, trip to Cuba in January, uh, I, I landed a permit on the last day of the trip. Um, that was a nice fish. It was a nice, it was a beautiful fish, but yeah. that w- that broke a 30 day drought of permit. of permit, you know, of, of yeah. fishing for them without, you know, I, I hooked a couple, had eats, had follows, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah. but landing, 
It was 30 days. Well, and that's um, the funny thing, too. I mean, look at this. Like, you're going to Cuba. Crazy. It's like fishing the Keys were 30, 40, 50 years ago, right? Technically. Yeah. And you look at that and you go, it's still fishing. Like, the wind still blows. The fish, like... The fish like, still have an eyeball the size like, of a horse. You know, exactly. like, they, they can see everything. They're, there's, you know, I mean, it, yeah, it doesn't well, change any of that. Well, here's the funny thing. I mean, that's the thing. We chase them in places where they're that way. You can go down and go off the coast of the Keys and get over a wreck and throw a live shrimp and catch them all day long. Oh, I'm sure you could do that off Cuba, too, with a, a all baby long. lobster and just destroy exactly. shrimp. Yeah, but... so. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's like the whole thing. It's like, oh, yeah, they're super like, yeah, they're, they're in the right conditions. They're not that selective. But, yeah. Fly fishing for them. Well, and if you're on a flat, I mean, any fish on the flat is like that. Like, I fish for yeah. striped bass a lot. And, and, and honestly, like, I think if I were to say what's my favorite fishery, it's striped bass fishing. Hmm. Um, and that's because it's home water for me. Sure. And you can catch them in a lot of different ways, right? You can catch them swinging big squid patterns in the rips and having a grab, but you can also get them on the flats, like any other flats fish. And when they get on the flats, yeah. they're as spooky as any other fish. Sure. So, uh, but it's super fun. It took me 10 years to figure out how to catch them on the flats at my parents' house. Wow. Like literally. Wow. Like they're swimming between my legs and I couldn't get them to eat. <laughs> yeah. Well, Permit don't swim between your legs. But right, yeah. Yeah, seriously. It was... Uh, yeah, it was secret fly and some technique and learned. And, like, once you figured it out, it was like, oh, my God. Like, now I, now I go down there. If they're there, I catch them. That's it's awesome. Fun. Super fun. <laughs> and then when you're done, that's the thing to me about – it's like redfish, too. Like, stripers and redfish, I mean, they pull really hard. They can be really visual, sure. top water or whatever. But yeah. they're not a, they're not what I would consider a, you know, boutique species, right? They're not, like, the tarpon jumping and permit, you know, exotic places right. where you have to go. But it's the whole package complete. Sure. Because right? you got to go to New Orleans or Texas coast. Yeah. You're going to eat good food. Right. You're going to drink adult beverages. You're going to be with friends. You're going to go out. You're going to have a great time in a beautiful place, right? Yeah. Wildlife. You're going to see crazy stuff. The fishing goes along with it. And then when you're done for the day, the same thing. You're going to go back and eat some oysters on the half shell, although you won't. Um, <laughs> you know, but you may, maybe you go duck hunting in the morning and you get birds and you catch some sea trout and. It's the whole thing. It's and for stripers, it's, you know, package you, for sure. you go eat a lobster roll when you're all done. Yeah, my friend Pat says uh, the fly fishing, I mean, the reason why he loves fly fishing is that fly fishing is more than just fly fishing. That's true. It's all of those other parts yeah. of it. that, And I think I think that's one of the big draws. That, I mean, a lot of people won't, don't, they can't articulate that because they haven't thought about it. But then when they think about it, they're like, yeah, it is all of that other stuff about fly fishing. Well, that and makes that's fly a, fishing so great. And that's a good throwback to that conversation. Where like, where is the industry at? And where is all of that? Like that nexus of all of that. Like if you look at what's popular and, you know, YouTube culture and all that, it's like good food and like, you know, that, you know, how to smoke a brisket, you know, and all of that kind of you when you thread fly fishing into that, it only enhances all of that, you know, mm. and it could be, you know, a good five dollar cigar. And, you know, a, 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 a flask of whiskey while you're out sea run cutthroat fishing. And yeah. it's like super fun. Yeah. Super fun. Okay. Well, I think that's enough for. Do we go another time. 50 again? Oh my gosh. No, we went 40 minutes today about. Wow. So, um, but you and I are going to get out on the water and we're going to fish tonight. And that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're going to be fishing with uh, Zach Dalton from, uh, from Farbank. So he's uh, the sales manager up there for Sage, Rio, Reddington, Flywater. 
And uh, so we're gonna go bass fishing tonight. So um, I'm gonna fly my drone. We're, yeah, we got the drone. We got Josh joining us for video stuff. So uh, so check out that video. It'll be on our YouTube channel. A beer and, two maybe. Yeah, we there might even be a Seabex pizza. Uh, oh, I've heard about of that. I was actually there. I think at the yeah. original Seabex. <laughs> you, you were, you were. I got some funny ideas to tell you about this after oh, we so stop. So yeah, hey, if you haven't subscribed to uh, our podcast or our channel, make Do sure it. you subscribe so you get Put all the, the updates. Yeah, it's the button. There. It's in the bottom right in the hand bottom corner. corner. Right yeah. down there. Right so down there. Okay. make sure you hit that uh, just so you can keep updated because uh, we got a lot of really fun stuff planned. And yeah, Jim, if, you, if you're a chum person, you've been following Moldy Chum. Thank you for being a loyal follower. And if you haven't, check us out. Check us out on Instagram. We'd love to share kind of what we do with, with you and um, hope to see you out there. Thanks for joining us.